Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. That's our Bible reading for today, page 940. And please uh, hold in your minds that, that injustice that we were just thinking about. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I met a cameraman recently. I made, made a new friend, and he, he is an impressive cameraman, it turns out. He lives nearby, and um, he's spent his career filming things all around the world. So I asked him as many questions as I could, and he's, he's filmed some celebrities, you know, people I'd heard of. But he said, I haven't spent the largest proportion of my career doing that. Mostly, I've been a war correspondent, but the camera guy. So I've seen things all around the world, I've seen, seen some really terrible things, and he listed conflicts um, just off the top of his head. And I thought, what a job. And indeed, the tone in which he was telling me reflected, what a job. You know, he, his, his eye and his camera lens had seen things that I can't quite imagine. Why would God let violent injustice like that happen? Certainly the question had occurred to him. Maybe it's occurred to you too. Some members of our church are from Hong Kong. And in their lifetime, they've seen... Hong Kong go from a place where it seemed like peaceful democracy was normal to a place where it's much less comfortable to be a citizen of that country. Some members of our church are from Iran and in their lifetime they've seen Iran go to an an even more repressive place where people are being beaten up, imprisoned, even executed for the things that they're wearing. Why would God let that happen? Some members of our church are from Nigeria, or their families are, and they've been the victims of kidnapping and violence. And they'll be wondering this weekend, what will this presidential election that happened yesterday bring? And why would God allow some of the violent injustice that's taken place in our country? Some members of our church are hosting Ukrainians who in the past year have watched missiles fly over the roofs of their houses and wondering, well, maybe, maybe my house, my block will be next. Why would God allow that war? 
Plenty of members of our church haven't had to suffer internationally like that, but uh, they've been mistreated or abused. People have done injustice to them. Many members of our church have suffered under the hands of cruel bosses or colleagues or landlords. Why would God do that? Why would he allow those sorts of things? Maybe in your, the tightness of your chest you're holding one of those injustices close and you're thinking, but, but this unfair thing in my life, yeah, you know all about it, God. How long must that go on? Difficult, isn't it? And faith allows those things to bubble to the surface. Indeed, I want you to let it bubble to the surface this morning because Habakkuk is a prophet in the Old Testament. He's not really one of the top ten like, biblical names. You know, not like Jesus or David or Moses or something. So you might not have heard of Habakkuk, but he's right there in the Bible, as you've seen if you just opened it up. And he was a prophet of God, known as one of the minor prophets. That's not because he's not important. It's just because he was more succinct than the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And uh, he writes what's known as a, a complaint to God. And for this month or so, we're going to look at Habakkuk. So we'll pause our looking at Luke's gospel and we'll, we'll give our attention to Habakkuk's prophecy for a month or so. I want you to walk through Jerusalem with me and I want you to feel some of the things that Habakkuk thought were unfair. He lived about 600 years before Jesus, so 600 BC. He was a Jew. He believed in God, but he was looking at the world around him and thinking, what? Uh, what's, all, what's going on here? So... I'm, I'm going to walk through Jerusalem and you come with me, okay, in your mind's eye. Okay, let's, let's see. So Habakkuk thought, that's unfair over there. That is a building site and that's the king's palace. The king is building himself a massive palace. And all you can see him, he's got his blueprints, he's rubbing his hands together, looking very excited. It's a king called Shalom and he was the son of good king Josiah. Shalom, not such a good king. It's massive, isn't it? Look at the cedar that they're shipping into that place. Woo-hoo-hoo. And he's got red paint actually says that in Jeremiah 22. He was decorating it red, his cedar panels. So, whoa, the king is going big, isn't he? You see those people over there? They're the builders who are getting paid nothing. The king's living in a cedar-paneled house, decorated red, and they're working slave labor. Okay, Jeremiah 22, that was the situation over there. Oh, you see those people over there? So they're... They're beggars. They've got nothing at the moment. It seems a bit odd when the king is living in a cedar-paneled palace that they've got absolutely nothing, but that's, that's our country at the moment. Oh, you see those guys? They, yeah, they're at the temple gate. They're fortune tellers and mediums. So, actually, they're making money from trying to tell people the future. Even though they have the law of God and the covenant, so they, they don't need to do that. In fact, God says, don't do that, but they're doing it anyway. That seems weird. And you see that family that are heading out the door with their kid. They look sad. They're going to sacrifice their child at a place called Topheth outside Jerusalem. Because they've been told that's, that's the best way to please the gods. If you sacrifice and burn your child. How long will this go on, Lord? Habakkuk is saying this doesn't seem right. I'm living in this country where we've got all the privileges of God in the Old Testament and yet people are doing all these things. Jeremiah 22 and 2 Kings 23 are our best insight onto the, all these things I've just said. So the Bible lays them out and says, Habakkuk was praying, what? I've called our sermon series Complaining to God. Can you see that? Okay. 
because you see in the heading of the, of the, the Bible, Habakkuk's complaint is laid out before God and he was living in this age and saying, what's going on? And uh, indeed in chapter 2 verse 1, it actually, he, he says, this is my complaint. So it's a word that we're allowed to use. Habakkuk certainly seems to be complaining to God and he's, he's laying it out before God. But don't worry, it won't all be misery. Let me just try and give you in a couple of minutes a bird's eye view of Habakkuk before we really dive into chapter 1. The message of Habakkuk, as far as I can condense it for you, is this. Joy is possible because justice is definite. Okay? Joy is possible because justice is definite. Habakkuk is three chapters long, as you can turn, turn over the page. You find, oh, that's the end of it. Right, okay. Three chapters. Joy is possible because justice is definite. And there are three cycles within that. So on your sermon sheet, I see some of you have got it, but on the back of your church family news, you see it says sermon notes. And this, I think, in, in colloquial language is, is the structure of Habakkuk. So it goes Habakkuk, the Lord, cycle one. Habakkuk, then the Lord, cycle two. And then Habakkuk ends up singing. So firstly, Habakkuk says, how long will this violence last? And the Lord replies, I'm going to make it worse. Second cycle, Habakkuk says, but why do you tolerate their wickedness? And the Lord says, I'm going to bring justice in the end. And then Finally, the third cycle is actually a song. Habakkuk turns songwriter and he says, I will rejoice while I wait. So if you like, Habakkuk starts off complaining to God. That's chapters one and two. But then unexpectedly ends up singing. And chapter three is beautiful and poignant. And he, he ends up writing a song and s- singing. And he says, in fact, I think perhaps the best verse that I can sum up the whole book is Habakkuk 3, verse 16. Do you want to just turn over and see that if you have a Bible? Or just listen carefully. Habakkuk 3, 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet... I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. You see? So he's nervous, he's shaking, he's addressing his complaint to God and he sees all the injustice around him so that makes him really solemn. But he says, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity, that's justice. So he ends up singing this song and we'll get to that in due course. Joy is possible because justice is definite. It's not trite or shallow. It's deep. I don't think it's like a vending machine. You know, you put your complaint in the slot and you pray it out to God. Ching, there's your song. You'll be happy. I don't think it's like that. The world isn't like that. But he is saying, but I found that there is joy through this path. Okay, so far? Let's just focus in for a few moments then today on chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. sum up that today I'd say sometimes you pray and God makes it worse sounds weird doesn't it sometimes you pray and God makes it worse I I think that is what we're going to see actually in just in the next few minutes together but uh, I'll try and show you and then there is there's hope at the end okay we'll look at um what Habakkuk said what God said and then what we can do okay 
Habakkuk, God, us. First thing then, what did Habakkuk say? He asked, how long will violence last? You might like to look with me at verses two to four, which is Habakkuk speaking. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So he's saying, look, look, how long will this violence last, this violent injustice? I was really enjoying hearing Courtney and Sarah talk about prayer meetings earlier. I I find it fascinating to think, I reckon Habakkuk would have been one who went to his prayer meetings. You know, he would have been regular. He seems like he had a habit of prayer. Indeed, he was a prophet, and his reflex here is to pray. But, fascinatingly, it wasn't easy for him. It wasn't like, oh, well, I've been, I've been to prayer meeting now, and so that's, that's me done, I'll be back next month. Actually, he, I think he would have gone away, he would have literally left this building if he'd been here praying with us, with a burden. He would have thought, right, I've prayed about this. What's the Lord going to do? Then I reckon he would have come back the next time thinking, I haven't seen an answer yet. What's going on? And he would have prayed more and more fervently. So he was a, there's a sort of godly faithfulness there, which Jesus actually commends himself, doesn't it? Keep knocking. If, if Habakkuk hadn't had an answer yet, he would have just banged louder on the door of heaven. Going, Lord, I've been praying about this. I need an answer. What are you going to do about this injustice? How long will it go on? There are other characters in the Bible who pray honestly to God too and ask him, questions quiz anybody any, any, anyone you can think of who asks God honest questions out of their suffering I heard Job somebody yes yeah good one Job uh, says why did I not perish at birth you know other answers David yeah in the Psalms right yeah so Lord how long will you forget me forever in other Psalms like that yeah I, it sounded like Nigel, but I don't remember. <laughs> who was that then? Thank you, Elijah. Right, yeah, yeah. So going to Mount Carmel and saying, why, why have you done this, Lord? Yeah. Any others? Jesus. Jesus, right, yeah. I was hoping someone would say Jesus. Par excellence, he is the one who says, please take this cup from me. Or, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So out of his suffering, he, he feels at liberty to question God and say, what's going on here then? So Habakkuk too is one in that list, and you may not have thought of him immediately before this morning, but there he is. He's praying to God, saying, how long will this violence last? Second thing, what did God say? Should we look at that? Verse five. Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Just pause there. That sounds quite good, doesn't it? Oh, Lord, what are you going to do? Is this going to be like a Red Sea? Whoa, that was, that was good. Or maybe you're going to send an angel just to stand in the path of the Babylonian army, one angel against thousands, and that's going to be that. Maybe you're going to send some great prophet again or turn the river into blood. That was cool when you did that in Exodus, Lord. Verse 6, have a look at verse 6. This is important. I'm raising up the Babylonians. Hold on, Lord, what? <laughs> Sorry, Who? Yeah, the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. 
let's get this straight, right? Because that doesn't mean very much to us Babylonians. Who, who are they? Uh, they were bullies. They were like the meanest, foulest, most devastating bullies on the block. They had the best weapons, and they were the ones who were least afraid to use them, right? They were the ones whose itchy trigger fingers were on the nuclear button in ancient terms. So when God says to Habakkuk, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that means I'm, they're going to be the new superpower. You know, they're going to be the, the ones dominating your continent. That's incredibly bad news for Habakkuk. That is dreadful for everybody around as far as he's concerned. So that's why I say, look, sometimes you pray and God makes it worse. And Habakkuk must be baffled, like, what? I don't know, I was, I was praying to you about like national injustices and things that were going on in my city. Now you've given me the Babylonians, I didn't want that. Maybe you know a little bit of this. You know, maybe you're one of those who's prayed passionately about the war in Ukraine this last year. And this weekend rolled around and you thought, what? A year? And it's still going? I read this this weekend, 20,000 Ukrainians killed or injured. 180,000 Russians killed or injured. Lord, how long, how long must this violence go on for? Maybe you've prayed for healing for somebody on a more local level and, and you, you thought, Lord, please would you take away this pain or this disease and this illness? And in fact, it seemed like instead of bringing healing, the Lord actually made it worse. And, and you thought, what? Why have you brought this crippling pain? What? Why have you brought a coffin, Lord, and a funeral? Habakkuk's point today, we will, there will be more good news as the book goes on, but just for today, the point is, sometimes you pray and the Lord makes it worse. There are six things that were particularly worse about the Babylonians. They were impetuous. So verse 6, it says they're impetuous. They seize dwellings that aren't their own. Imagine if someone seized your house and just said, I'm living here now, and you couldn't do anything. Second, they were dreaded. Verse 7, they were feared and dreaded people. They were law to themselves. So they just made up their own rules and did what they wanted. They were dreaded. Thirdly, they were fierce. Verse 8, so their horses are swifter than leopards. They're fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. I've never faced a cavalry charge. I imagine it's terrifying, thunderous horses coming towards you. So that, that, was, that was their big, big weapons. And they just do that to people. So they were impetuous, dreaded, they were fierce, they were violent. Verse 8 again, they, they fly like an evil, swooping to devour. Verse 9, they all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. So their reputation was just to grab prisoners and kill them or shove them together like you would sand in a bucket on the beach, you know. <clears throat> You can't reason with them. So they're, they're violent as well. Fifthly, they, they laughed. That's perhaps the most sinister part. Verse 10, they, they mock kings and they scoff at rulers. They laugh at fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. So they're actually so sure of themselves. And they're so strong and unchallengeable. <laughs> We're going to do whatever we want. That's, that's, I find that almost the creepiest part. So they laugh. And sickly, they're... They're strong, verse 11. They sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. The bottom line probably is they know they're strong. They've smashed every other army. They've got a great track record for an army. And isn't that often the case with injustice? It keeps happening because the bullies, they know they can do it. They're strong enough and their muscles are big enough that they can. So you see, what did God say? This is our second point. And he said, I'm raising up Babylon. And they were impetuous, dreaded, fierce, violent, laughing, and strong. 
Can we just pause there for a moment before we dive into our third point? It's a hard, isn't it? Hard. I feel that. I feel there's a solemnness in the room, which is right. Just, just tell me. Is this the word of God? Yes. Yes, it is. Try again. Is this the word of God? Yes. yes. Right. So if feels strange this morning, doesn't it? But we can say with confidence that this is God's word for us. We need to hear this. So let's not shy away from it. Let's look hard into it. And, and indeed, I want to encourage you, if, if your view of Habakkuk's complaint isn't wide, let's say it's like a camera lens. If it's not wide enough to, to take in what this is saying, God's going to make it worse. It definitely won't be wide enough for Easter. Because at Easter time, what we're building up to this year, as every year, is the cross and, and Jesus taking on, on, on himself all the injustice and the wrong and the sin of the world. So your, your camera lens just simply won't fit in the width of the cross if we haven't got room for something like what Habakkuk is saying. That's the first thing. Second thing I'd say on this point, and I found John Piper very helpful on this. He writes a book called Providence, and it really helped me lift my eyes to God in here. Imagine two options, right? So... These are two universes that you could theoretically live in. Universe A, chaos universe. In chaos universe, stuff just happens, and whoever grabs the steering wheel gets to be in charge, and whoever is the strongest gets to bulldoze the rest of everybody. And there's no rhyme or reason for it. We're just here, so don't ask why, and see if you're strong enough to survive. Okay? Universe B, creation universe. You don't have all the answers in creation universe because you're not God. But you know there is a God and he's good and he loves you and he sent his son to die for you. That's universe B. Chaos. Creation. Just think to yourself, which one do I prefer? Neither of them have got all the answers. Both of them are faced with injustice so the questions don't go away. But which do you prefer living in? John Piper says, well, give me the creation universe every time. If, if it's the creation with Jesus in it, if it's, if it's the one where God loves me and I may still be baffled by things, but I get to live there, then yes, please, I'll be there. So I found that a helpful <clears throat> thought as I go into all this, and we'll, we'll, we'll go deeper into it <clears throat> in the next months together. So that was the second thing. God said, I'm raising up Babylon. And third thing, what can we do? What can we do when we're faced with violent injustice? Try and put it really simply. God's invitation to us this morning as we get practical together is, will you trust like Habakkuk? Will you trust like Habakkuk? Because here he is, he's this prophet. He's, he can see the problems in the world around him. He hasn't got his head in the sand, but he says, I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start trusting. I'm going to press, press deeper into these things. So how about you? Will you trust like Habakkuk? Six things he did to, that showed his trust that you can do too. Okay, and then we're done. Six things that we can do. Be prayerful, firstly. Habakkuk prayed. It may, have, it may have been a complaint, but it was a prayer. And I just want to encourage you, you could do that too. That access is yours in Jesus Christ. And um, to be honest, I think I certainly could do this a bit more. I'm quite good at complaining all around me. I love to tell people around me what's wrong and, and how grumbly I am and everything, you know, litany of distress, but not, not often. And I'm a pastor. Do I, do I direct my complaint upwards to the Lord? So can I just encourage you, why not? Let's, let's practice that. Actually, we're going to be people who 
complain to God. A bit less of that, a bit more of that. Throwing my head up and, and, and pouring my heart out to the heavens. Sarah and I had a time of prayer just recently where we asked some questions of the Lord. It felt pretty uncomfortable actually just to end, end a prayer with a question mark. But it was, it was wholesome and uh, we were beginning to get the questions out there in front of him. So be prayerful, first thing. Second practical thing, be careful. So I just want to balance what I've said. Having encouraged you, pour out your complaint to God, pray it, pray it, pray it. I do want you to do that. But be careful because he's God. So I want to say to you, pray like he's your heavenly father, which is just what Jesus says, isn't he, about prayer. So imagine a really good dad. The way you would talk to him, you're invited to speak to God. That is, pray because he loves you, pray because he's your dad, pray because you know you'll get a hearing because you're his child. But with respect, because to your own father, a good father, you would, you would speak with appropriate respect. So be, be, be careful. You sense, you sense, even in Habakkuk's words today, he's careful. Be prayerful, be careful. Thirdly, be honest. Habakkuk is honest. He says, the law is paralyzed, Lord. Justice never prevails. And when, next week, we're going to get into the second cycle. We'll see he, he's actually not given up. He's like a dog with a bone. Saying, yeah, but Lord, I still haven't heard you yet. What are you going to do? Why do you tolerate this? So you can be honest with the Lord. I think you could make a list of the things that you, you see as unjust in the world. Maybe top of it would be the thing that I got you to think of at the beginning. And you could take that to the Lord and say, yeah, but Lord, I'm going to keep this thing on my list until I see you doing something. This is how Christians get passionate about things. Wouldn't it be great if there were just so many of you who are lathered up and passionate and really excited about different issues? Wouldn't that be great? Oh, I know Jay has got such a burden for that thing in society. Virginia absolutely loves to rant about such and such injustice, you know, whatever it might be. And that would be a good thing amongst us. Of course, I see that amongst many, many Christians. I see it in lots of you. So be honest. For, uh, so be prayerful, be careful, be honest. Fourthly, add new passions. I think we're all naturally passionate about things that affect us. So I, 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 uh, I know that the things that seem really unfair to me are like the very, very local things that touch me personally. Just to prove my theory, I asked some children this week, what do you think is really unfair in the world? Do you know what they said? The fact I don't have more video games. <laughs> And the reason, well, I'm not sometimes allowed as much chocolate as other children. I thought, yes. <laughs> They're quite selfish, isn't it? Uh, you know, just try to help them see. Maybe with time, you know, they'll add more injustice to their portfolio that is a bit wider than just those things. But aren't we all a bit like that? You know, I feel really head up about the stuff that's basically affecting me. Wouldn't it be great if we could add new passions? Lord, I see that thing over there. It's just not fair. I'm growing to be more objective and more compassionate, so I see this is unjust, and I'm asking you what's going on with it. Maybe you could add new passions as this year goes on. I was hearing a, a, a godly Christian talk about Grenfell Tower recently and just talking about how that tower, of course, made us realize there are so many other tower blocks that are coated in this flammable stuff, and it feels like that's been done because people just wanted to make more profit. So they clad the towers in the cheap stuff so that they could make more money and live in their luxury homes. Meanwhile, people might be at threat of burning alive in their towers. That's not fair. And I was, it was good for me to listen to this Christian just talk about that. Maybe we could add new passions like that. So we're prayerful, careful, honest. We add new passions. Fifthly, we resist neat answers. There is no flowchart for turning 
violent injustice into singing. Even after speaking about this at the 9.30 service earlier, someone came to me with questions and they said, what about this? What about that? It's difficult. I want to talk to them. I want to think a bit more and come back to you all next week with a bit more. But it's not going to be neat. You don't emerge from a period of pain thinking, oh, I'm glad I've got that sorted. Now I'm going to sing a song. It didn't work that way. But God's habit is that through suffering and through hearing the, the minor key, if you like, in the melody, a beautiful tune emerges. So we resist neat answers. And sixthly and finally, we trust that guilty means guilty. It's been pretty bleak today, hasn't it? Um, thank you for coming to church today. <laughs> God is still God and the gospel is still true. But trust that guilty means guilty. And uh, in verse 11 is the brightest glimmer of hope that I've found in this passage. You see verse 11? Just have a look with me. They sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people. Honestly, that's the brightest ray of hope that I found in today's passage, but it will get brighter. But you know where it says guilty? Guilty people. It's just a sign. I noticed it this week. It's a sign that when God says guilty, he means guilty. When God says evil, he means evil. When God says something's wrong, he means wrong. If God says something, it's a sin, it's a sin. And on the wonderful flip side, if God says something is good, he's good. So here, just that word, that's, that's enough for me for this week. Okay, Lord, I, in the thick of this injustice, I don't like what I see over there or over there, but I'm throwing up my complaint to you. And if you are saying, Lord, that these people are guilty people, then I trust you that they're guilty. And what that means is that at the end of time, when justice comes and Jesus Christ returns to judge the nations, the category still stands. He still thinks it's guilt. He still thinks that it was wrong, and therefore he will be meticulous in his justice. You see? If you live in chaos universe, you don't have that. Guilty, that's subjective. Guilty means whatever you want it to mean. In creation universe, guilty means guilty. So as we finish, it's time that we finished. I invite you to um, bring to mind that injustice that you thought of at the start. And let that bubble up again. I'll give you a moment's silence and um, when you talk to the Lord about it, you may not know what to pray. It may end in a question mark. That's okay. And then I'll lead us in a prayer. Let's take a moment. How long, Lord, must we call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make us look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are around us. There is strife and conflict abounds in our world. Father, it seems like the law is paralyzed and justice doesn't prevail. But we look to you and we pray you teach us to pour out our complaint to God. And please, Lord, if it was possible for Habakkuk to end up singing and having joy, then we pray that it might be for us too. For we ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.